Picture. We are a movie podcast where every week we sit down and have a discussion about a film. This week we're doing a special episode. Uh, uh, just me, just Aiden, all by myself. Just kidding. Um, I'm joined by Allie Brady, who's the host of a great new podcast that we're doing on the network called Between the Culture. And Blake is out of the studio today because he's busy. Uh, so Allie, welcome. Thank you. So you have two episodes now uh, that have been published. You've done one about humans versus zombies tag on the UW campus, and then one about the Birders Club, correct? Yes. Yes. So what is the, what's the topic of your podcast? Tell me about it. Yeah. So basically, it just looks into different niche groups on campus doing cool hobbies or cool activities. Like you said, I did one on humans versus zombies tag and another one on the bird watching club. And I basically just put myself in those people's environments, kind of follow them around, learn about what they're doing and create like a produced podcast out of that um, as opposed to like a discussion-based podcast. Right. So you, most of your work is done in the field. Yeah. I The only work I do in the studio is when I script the show and then I do voiceover and add that in. Otherwise, it's like all recorded outside. So you get nice outdoor noises and organic <laughs> kind of sounds of people. Yeah, which can be great and sometimes poses a difficulty because obviously people will walk into your conversations or there'll be like weird white noise in the background or like wind. Wind is like my number one enemy. But um, at the same time, it like is a great opportunity to get really cool natural sound. Yeah. So what made you decide to do a podcast like that instead of kind of taking the easy route like what we do here on the movie podcast? <laughs> well, we just um, sit in the chair and just, you know, ramble. I so. know you guys got to you're being lazy. We've got it easy. Up. Blake has it really <laughs> easy. Uh, yeah. Well, I just I love hearing people talk about what they're passionate about, I think. And I just thought like the best way to tell people's stories through like their hobbies and their activities is to like put myself in their environment because I feel like people are like more willing to talk freely and openly about what they're doing when they're in their own space and so I just thought the podcast would lend itself best to being recorded out of studio as opposed to bringing people in and talking about it. We'll play a little clip here from the Birders episode uh, from when you went to Deception Pass with the club to find birds <laughs> we found a lot of birds yeah. and we walked a lot <laughs> so here is that so it's mostly white uh it's got some black on the side of its head and as the name suggests it has a really long tail <laughs> um it almost the male almost looks like it has it's white with black painted on it i've been birding for what four years and i don't think i've yeah. oh I, I know i've never seen one so I don't bird out on the coast that often, yeah. so I haven't seen one. <laughs> I'd have to look it up, but it's definitely rare for me. Stopping on the edge of the bluff, the wind picks up. Ben and Sarah are still thrilled about their long-tailed duck sighting. These kinds of sightings are what make birding worth the cold temperatures and the early morning alarms. I think that was my favorite episode I've done so far. And yeah. it was cool going to Deception Pass. Those, uh, those birders are very dedicated, I will say. Yeah, no, you got to be. <laughs> you have to get up early, uh, as you will learn when you listen to the episode. You got to get up early to, to hear the, the bird song. Yeah, that's when it's best. It's yeah. ripe. <laughs> so speaking of bird song, uh, we decided that we were going to do something a little bit uh, out of the ordinary for this episode. We're going to take this show on the road. So shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right. All 
All right, so we're gonna take this uh, show on a little walk. Uh, we've just left the communications building and we're gonna head to the Union Bay natural area here on campus. Uh, so we can experience, hopefully, some birds <laughs> while <laughs> we... Uh, celebration of birders episode. Yeah, hopefully. and we, we'll have a discussion about a movie as we go. So, Ali, what movie did you pick? Well, I picked the one and only Ratatouille. It's a personal favorite. I mean, for starters, it's about a rat who cooks. So, I mean, like, who doesn't want to watch that? <laughs> but I think... The heart of why I love Ratatouille so much is that it really just makes me feel like warm and fuzzy. And I think that's because I think the movie really just celebrates like living and enjoying living through like something we all really love, which is food. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like a, one of those really like pure heartwarming, but like smartly done animated movies. That's a good way to describe it. It does leave you with a, a really warm and fuzzy kind of a you can do it feeling you know? <laughs> yeah like I felt like I could like be a French chef basically afterwards man if a movie can convince you that you could be French it must be doing something right yeah definitely I <laughs> so. <laughs> so Ratatouille came out in 2007 uh, so it's been an enduring classic at this point you know 11 years old um, for an animated movie I'd say it's it's had a, a very good track record and it, it hasn't aged at Definitely. All. It's one of Pixar's better movies, I think. I would put it in my top three, Pixar, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Maybe at number... Oh, man, it's hard. It's so hard, because Toy Story is so good. Yeah, and, well, Up, for me, is one of my favorites, too, but I think Ratatouille just has that, like, universal feel to it, where there's there really is, like, something for everyone. Yeah, there's this concept that everybody can kind of have their own power and do their own thing. Um, I wrote down in my notes, uh, democratization of pleasure. Um, oh, snazzy. Which, snazzy, yeah, big <laughs> words. Um, so yeah, food is not made only for critics by professionals. Uh, that's just not the way that the world <laughs> goes. It's made by everybody. Everybody has to eat. Um, and even like the most basic of foods can bring enormous pleasure to a person kind of based on their their life or their memories and I really enjoy that and I think it's it's a strong message and even in a lot of like heroic stories there's kind of this newer idea now of the democratization of the hero like you see movies like Star Wars The Last Jedi they have this idea that you know there's this character who is not from royal blood she's not a Skywalker but she's still an important person in the story she still can be a hero even though she may not have been born into it so I think it's a it's an important and relevant topic now in storytelling and I think it was maybe a little bit of I'm not gonna say it was ahead of its time but it's a yeah. unique take on the story <laughs> a sewer rat who rises into the ranks of French cuisine French cuisine and I think like it's so human in that because I mean we all eat we all enjoy food and you know cooking is something that is somewhat of a community building endeavor it's something you can do with people and for people and everyone can appreciate that which really makes the movie hit home so much because I feel like oftentimes at least for me I'm so busy and stuff I stop to I don't stop to appreciate food and just enjoy food and company of with other people while making and eating food and I think this movie really does a great job of like paying homage to the love of that yeah because you know there's these two aspects to food and I guess there's like two views on food there's 
food is a resource that people need to continue to live and to be sustained, but it's also something that can be incredibly pleasurable and like be um, an uplifting experience. You know, there's this whole concept of um, these food supplements that taste like nothing but will fill you up and like allow you to keep existing like Soylent. Oh, where wow, you that can, sounds terrible. Right, yeah, it's like <laughs> this powder that you can order to mix into water and it's flavorless, but it has enough calories to, you know, keep you going. And I think that is, you know, the antithesis of a movie like this where, you know, you have these senses as a human, you have the ability to partake in things that are pleasurable and why would you want to squander that? Even even in the most minuscule day-to-day sense, senses, like you could have a lunch and it could be a turkey sandwich and it could be like the most boring turkey sandwich ever, but there's probably still some essence of flavor in it that you enjoy. Yeah. Or nostalgia or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For elementary school lunches. One of my favorite things that the movie does is it contrasts the idea of like mass-produced food with you know, personally made um, food from the heart. There's the the chef who owns Gusto's restaurant, Skinner. He's the head chef. And he has totally commercialized the business and he has these frozen foods that he's selling in the U.S., like corn, mini corn dogs and, you know, <laughs> things from... Food. Yeah, Mexican food. <laughs> uh, and all, all these, these kind of things. And they contrast that with the other characters who are actually trying to be chefs and create this fine cuisine. Essentially like food art. Food art. So I think it does a good job of kind of drawing out these these two different realms of how are people using their senses and what is the more pleasurable uh, choice. And I think that goes back to a lot of the movie showing kind of the juxtaposition of people who've kind of almost gone on autopilot and taken the joy out of eating and people who like Remy who savor it so much like you have Remy who's just like this little rat but he like loves cooking and he loves food and he loves trying new things and then you have like the food critic Anton Ego who (laughs) probably used to be really happy and sweet but now is like essentially like on autopilot like a shell of a man like sitting in a dark room totally jaded writing like these horrible scathing reviews that basically just crush restaurants Mm -hmm. and it's he's basically like taken all probably what he used to feel like love towards food and just is kind of gone on this like no I am just going to destroy people's dreams basically and I think that's really interesting because then throughout the movie we kind of see Remy who is a little more optimistic and has more odds against him kind of succeed whereas like Anton Ego is kind of seen as the villain Anton Ego's whole aesthetic is so great he's got this kind of count he's like dracula the grim eater I yeah think he's like the grim eater him. yeah he looks like nosferatu um but he's <laughs> he got does. this awesome like his writing room you get a top-down shot of it and it's shaped like a coffin literally he's like death incarnate <laughs> for the totally food world is. his i want that typewriter that he writes on too because you see the back of it and um just the the cogs and little pieces are some of them are missing and the missing uh parts of the typewriter form the shape of a skull yeah it's just wonderful Wonderful. Oh yeah, it's he's like great. what happened to this man? Yeah, who Something hurt him? Something horrible. <laughs> like help him, please. <laughs> so let's do a, like a very brief plot summary of Ratatouille. Yeah, um, let's. Should I? Would you like to? Uh, yeah, I'll start it off. Okay. So basically, there's a rat named Remy. Yes, he... his name is not Ratatouille, as some people <laughs> may think. Yes, 
that is not correct. He is, his name is Remy and he's a sweetheart and he loves food. And he lives with his rat colony family in an attic above this house of this little old lady who he often likes to come down and take food from. Until one day when he gets caught and through a long series of events in which the old woman happens to have a shotgun, shoots down the roof and all the rats come falling out and escape. But unfortunately, Remy gets separated and ends up in the sewers. But when he comes out, he finds out that he's actually been like under France, specifically Paris, this entire time. And he sees the restaurant Gusto's, which uh, Gusto is the chef that wrote the cookbook, Anyone Can Cook. Which he has fantasized about for a long time. It's a cookbook that was in the old woman's house and he would watch her television and see Gusto on TV. So he has this very romanticized idea about what being a chef is all about. It's like his uh, hero, basically. Yeah, he has this big, he's this this little guy with this big dream. (laughs) And yeah, so he, uh, he walks over to Gusto's and basically sees, I don't know, what would you call him? Like a, like a ghost of Gusto? Yeah, he appears Obi-Wan Kenobi style (laughs) as a ghost to Remy. Uh, and asks him to, you know, explain uh, himself and, you know, what his reason to be is. Yeah, and they're looking into the kitchen at Gusto's, and Remy looks upon this one guy who's obviously, like, a garbage guy or a dishwasher or something, and Remy, like, doesn't think anything of him, but Gusto's like, well, no, he's in the kitchen, like, he probably has value, everyone in the kitchen has value. And eventually, Remy and Linguini, who's the boy, who's the boy, meet, and uh, they kind of eventually form this weird quasi chef team. Right. Remy and uh, Linguini find out that if Remy sits on Linguini's head and pulls on his hair, uh, Remy's body will move in accordance with the the strands that that Remy pulls on. It's, yeah. It's almost like, like a giant a, robot. Yeah, or a marionette doll or something. Yeah. So I'm going to interrupt our plot summary for a second to say that we've arrived at the Puget Sound, or excuse me, the Union Bay natural area. We just crossed a bridge over a small stream, and now we're walking through a little wetland, and there's people who are, it looks like conservationists Ooh. here, who are working yeah. on planting some new plants. A the areas of some bogs yeah, around here. Yeah, we got some here. bogs. It's a lovely nature reserve, and it actually used to be a dump. Did you know that? No, I didn't. This used to be a whole, this whole area used to be garbage. Well, and it's gorgeous now. They have changed it into a natural reserve and there's like actual birds that will come here and live here at different parts of their migrations so it's it's really a great thing to have so close to where we live yeah underrated i feel like totally i didn't really know this was here they learn how to cook um and they forge a bond they forge a bond and they're <laughs> trying to keep remy a secret because you know a rat in a kitchen is bad news yes um so they encounter one of the chefs in the kitchen whose name is Colette and she's the only woman who cooks there and she's actually I think my favorite character yeah, in the she's movie. a baddie she's a baddie yeah she's she's a badass oh badass <laughs> yeah I can say badass she's a badass I was like she's not a bad guy she's not one of the bad characters no she's 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 awesome she's yeah. the only woman in the kitchen she knows it but she's like oh, yeah. not gonna take no for an answer no she's excellent and she's she spends a lot of well she has a great cooking montage where she's teaching Linguini about all the ins and outs of the kitchen um, and she gives him this great lecture when he kind of 
starts to attempt to talk to her the first time about how she's like, I'm the only woman in this kitchen. You have no idea how hard I work to get here. And like, I do not get the respect I deserve and I will not take anything from you. She like stabs a bunch of <laughs> knives into a sleeve to pin him to the counter at one point. Yeah, yeah she's great. She's fierce. She is fierce. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so they're a team, Remy and Linguini, they're cooking together, trying to keep Remy a secret, of course. But Skinner oddly suspects Linguini because, lo and behold, lo and behold. Linguini is supposed to be the son of Gusto. And if this is to be believed, Skinner is out of a job, basically, because Linguini would be owning the restaurant. And Skinner does not want this. <laughs> He's the opposite of Gusto. He does not think anyone can cook. No. And he is a very pessimistic person. And he's oddly suspicious of Linguini and thinks the rat is involved. Yes, he does. Which is logical. Of course. <laughs> of course. This kind of familial relationship subplot, I would say, is happening kind of in the background. Yeah. Because the main concern of the movie is keeping the restaurant open. Definitely. There's this worry that since they've already lost a couple of their... Uh, star ratings they're not, they're not maybe they're Mich they're supposed to be like michelin stars right they're supposed yeah, to be something really like high um, well, it had praise. five stars but it now had, it's like it's got three three stars. lost two stars so they're worried that the next time a critic comes to their restaurant and gives them a bad review that'll be it and they will uh go out of business because they won't have enough people coming in so everyone's really tense and kind of very panicked. tense very panicked the movie kind of resolves when this food critic anton ego shows up and he shows up and he doesn't ask for anything on the menu. He asks for perspective. He says, I would like an order one fresh dose of perspective. Just bring me that. <laughs> and they go back to the kitchen. The server comes back to the kitchen. He's like, he wants perspective. Well, they're all like, what does that mean? And Linguini is like, I got it. Really? Remy's got it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Remy cooks uh, this French peasant's dish called ratatouille. ratatouille. Um, and when it is brought out and served to Anton Ego, he takes a bite and he flashes all the way back to his childhood as a little kid with a scraped knee, he's fallen off of his bicycle, and his mother makes him uh, some ratatouille and it just warms his whole soul. And, and Anton it's Ego, like a Grinch moment, his heart grows <laughs> two sizes. Yes, he's, <laughs> he is rescued from his uh, sour uh, depths. So, Which I think brings us to a really another really cool aspect of this movie it's not only is it celebrating the love of food and just the joy of living but how closely our senses are tied with like our memories absolutely because he just takes one bite of ratatouille and i don't know it's probably been like 40 years or something since he was a thousand years he, he's this, ancient he is ancient <laughs> since he's had this ratatouille prepared by his mom but just that one bite can trigger that moment from years and years and years ago and it takes him all the way back so good it's really great and that's kind of seen throughout the movie too because you have these graphics anytime ratatouille or anytime ratatouille oh my god <laughs> that's not correct folks his name is remy but anytime remy tries a food there's these cool graphics that kind of reflect the taste he's experiencing right the whole screen will go black and then there will be these kind of swirls or firework patterns that will appear behind him that illustrate kind of the sensations that he's experiencing yeah and it kind of gets foods. you to like feel what the taste he is, he's having yeah and there's a little bit of jazz that plays underneath yeah. it you know yeah it's a good experience it is 
It I makes you hungry. It does. Bit. Oh, man. And there's nothing <laughs> like animated food to make you hungry. It's so pristine. Absolutely pristine. <laughs> it never gets wrecked. It, <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, oh, man, anime food is so good. Like, in Spirited Away, you've seen all the food I love in that Spirited movie. Away. Uh, those, what are those movies. things she's eating? They're like... Uh, little like rice buns or mm, something mm-hmm. i remember the first time i saw that movie and those like perfect round rice buns i was like give me one now yeah yeah no it's pretty astonishing how good they make it look and that dish that they make at the very end the ratatouille which is really they're these roasted it's roasted vegetables yeah it's so it just a peasant a dish and they roast these vegetables but the way they have the presentation done they're all little thin thin slices and they're all stacked and there's and a little brightly sauce. colored oh it looks delicious yeah, you'll definitely be hungry after watching Ratatouille, for sure. And might even feel inspired to try your hand at cooking. Yes. So we are now on the edge of the water here at Union Bay. Uh, I wanted to see if we can spot some turtles. Truth be told, this is the second time we've recorded this podcast. <laughs> uh, the first time uh, we had a microphone difficulty. So yeah. now we're on attempt two. No turtles last time. and uh, Still no turtles today. No turtles this time. They must be sleeping. Um, it's a shame. It is beautiful out here, though. It is. I'm happy, actually, that it's not as sunny out la- as the last time. Cause I was dying a little bit. It was too hot. <laughs> it was too much. This is nice, kind of overcast, but... Nice breeze. Yeah. We did see a pretty good bird last time. I don't... What did we see last time? Was it a heron? Oh, yeah, we saw a great blue heron. That's yes. right. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled. We might see another one. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. There's a red-winged blackbird flying right there. Oh, no way. Hey, you yeah. should join the bird club. <laughs> I should. They'll be happy to have your insight. Yeah. When Anton Ego takes a bite of the ratatouille and he flashes all the way back to his childhood, it reminded me a lot of the movie Lion. Yes, another one of my favorites, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> this is this great movie based on a true story about a young boy who uh, lives in India and he's separated from his his parents and he ends up being adopted by a couple who live in Australia Mm -hmm. and he's sent across the ocean. Um, And he goes through this whole journey where he ends up going back to India to find his family once he's an adult. And not until he's, yeah, he's like in his late 20s late or 20s. 30s or something, yeah. Yeah, um, but the the whole triggering moment for that is that he's sitting, or he's with some friends at a party in Australia as this adult, and he takes a bite of some Indian dish that one of his friends has made, and he has this moment where he flashes all the way back to his childhood where he had the same food as street food with his brother who ended up dying in this terrible little accident. But... Yeah, that's a wonderful movie, and it definitely, that little bit of it explores the connection between, you know, food and memory, but the rest of the movie isn't really about yeah, that. But. but it is really interesting. It shows how powerful, like, taste can be, because I know we as humans can suppress memories really well, but it's like just that one bite of that food, like, released all these memories he hadn't gone through in years. Well, maybe we should move on and do uh, recommendations. Yes, sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, I'll start. Uh, just speaking of food, uh, both of my movies are food movies that I've chosen. Uh, I think the first recommendation I'm going to make is one I've definitely made before on the podcast, which is Tampopo, which is this really, really great Japanese movie from 1985 about a woman who owns a ramen shop and two kind of delivery drivers who show up one day and they all decide together to have the best ramen shop in the city that they're in and 
The movie is was marketed as a ramen western because it is very much shot like a western and uh, has this kind of shop versus shop uh, mentality. It's very funny and I, I highly, highly recommend that. That one definitely explores the relationship specifically between food and sex. And that movie is very, very entertaining. And my second recommendation is a documentary that I'm sure most people have already seen, but I have to recommend. It's on Netflix, uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi, nice. which is just, just so good. Just all about a little tiny sushi shop that's in a subway station in Japan. But it's highly, highly regarded to be like one of the best sushi places in the entire world. It's extremely expensive. Uh, and they kind of go into the, the story of the man behind the restaurant and all the positions that are there. Uh, have you seen it? Yeah, I have. It's good. It's It definitely has that same kind of feeling where it's, well, yeah, it's celebrating food, but also just little little shop dreams big. Yes. <laughs> so I, the, I, there's one position in the restaurant where it's like the, the person who has to spend a year making rice before they're allowed to to do anything yeah. else that that person has to also massage the octopus <laughs> to make sure it's very tender before they cut into it that always cracks me up yeah what a job octopus massager i'd love to have that on my resume would you <laughs> what do you have what would you recommend uh, well uh, one of these movies pretty much probably most people have seen but it's worth noting um, Up, one of my favorite Pixar movies, but the reason I mention Up is because I think it does a great job of featuring one of those kind of unconventional friendships that forms between uh, Carl and Russell in the movie, and it kind of reminds me of the relationship uh, between Linguini and Remy. It also just has that same kind of like warm and fuzzy feeling that's just kind of celebrates that, that love of living that Ratatouille has as well. And then on the food side, though, I'd recommend Julie and Julia, uh -huh. which is a great movie for anyone who loves food, a.k.a. everyone. <laughs> and um, it's about this girl, Julie Powell, who is a New Yorker, and she decides, she's kind of like fed up with everything, and she decides she's going to go through the famous Julia Child's cookbook, which has around like 500 some odd recipes, and recreate them and then blog about them. And that has that same thing where it's just like, you know, anyone can cook. Like, cooking is like an experimental, fun thing. And it's just a really sweet movie. It'll also make you really hungry. Mm. But highly recommend. You done any cooking yourself recently? I, you know, I try. I dabble a little bit. I, my mom is an amazing, amazing cook. Like, I wish I had her mad skills, but I did mad try. Mad skills. Yeah, I did try to replicate her guacamole this weekend. I think, I'm Bird. sorry to interrupt you. I think that was a kingfisher that just flew over us. No way. That was what very cool. exciting. Very, very good. I feel so honored. Man, I'm struggling. I hope this is translating to audio well. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely a good place to go birding, side note, if anyone is ever feeling down to look for some birds oh yeah big plug for the union bay natural area <laughs> but yeah no i tried to replicate my mom's guacamole this weekend and you know it turned out pretty well it was like really messy but a few of my <laughs> friends and i did it with did it with me and it just goes to show like if you just give it a try like you'll be surprised it'll turn out better than you think and it's it's a fun thing to do with people, and oh my god! There's a turtle in right the in road front of us. right in front of us. It Hello, has a little red friend. Belly. 
It has Aww. a yellow striped head. Oh my god. I'm going to take a picture of him and I will tweet him out. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Also? Also? Also, you should take a picture with the, the microphone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Excuse me, Mr. We have some questions for you. Um, uh, can you tell us about uh, your life as a, as a small man? As a small little guy, excuse me, sir, uh, why did the turtle cross the road? <laughs> he doesn't want to tell you. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he's wow. so adorable. He's perfect. He's like so big. Oh What's he God. doing all the way over here? Do you think he needs help? I don't know. Oh, wow. Man, he's so large. I like <laughs> him. The back of his uh, shell is kind of dinged up. Yeah. I'm sure that's just normal life damage. Yeah, he's not too far from the water, though. I imagine he's all right. I love watching them walk. Yeah, he's just they're, waddling they're along. legs are so cool. Yeah, wow. Oh, my goodness. Here, I'm going to get some sound of him crawling through the dirt. Those are the sounds of turtle legs, that, people. That sweet gnat sound, let me I'm tell you. I'm telling you, you got to get down here. All right, well, we'll let him be. I think we've scared him a little bit, so <laughs> we'll move great. on. That was quite exciting. <laughs> wow. Literally just right in the middle of the just road. Right like in the middle of the path. Three feet in front of me. Oh, he was cute. Oh, there he goes. Good luck, friend. Fair winds. <laughs> I feel I feel sat satisfied. I feel like we weren't seeing much, and then now I feel like it's all worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's do final thoughts on this movie. I think we've pretty much summarized that we love it yeah but if that's not clear like if I we love Ratatouille. yeah <laughs> if we can give like a one sentence on like why this movie is important and why it should be watched i think we'll be good yeah definitely uh i can go first so you have yeah. time to prepare go one for it. Go for it. um i think that ratatouille is incredibly important because it is non-standard uh in terms of pixar movies it tells this story that is very kind of ground up of success that is achieved through hard work and learning. It's not necessarily just like, oh, this is an adventure story, but it, it takes kind of a different stance and an approach to the story that it tells, and I think most of the Pixar movies do. More recently, I see Pixar movies like Inside Out and, um, um, excuse me, what is it called? Um, Coco seem to be kind of emotionally manipulative and just kind of want to make you cry. But this one doesn't really try to do that. It just tries to tell you a really good story and move you through its plot. So I appreciate that. I also recognize that that was not a one sentence reason, <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is an important movie and that Brad Bird, who directed it, should do all the Pixar movies. All the Pixar movies. Because the other one that he did was <laughs> The Incredibles, which also takes a really interesting stance and on a story that we all know, which is the superhero narrative, and he totally turns it on its head with that movie. So. And also has a sequel coming out very soon. Oh, so excited. <laughs> yeah, very excited for Incredibles 2. I'm very hyped. <laughs> it's on the calendar for sure. Yes, so that's my <laughs> final thought. What have you got? Yeah, I would just say that it it just really celebrates the joy of living through this universal medium of food. And I think we're all really busy people nowadays. And it kind of just forces you to, to slow down and take a moment and savor what you're eating and who you're eating it with. And the fact that, like, you can cook and anyone can cook and, and anyone can make something if they want to put their heart and energy into it. And that's a really great summary. <laughs> I love that. 
Thank you. Well, Allie, we are now walking away from the Union Bay Natural Area and back into real life full of paved roads and skyscrapers. And no turtle friends. And no turtle friends. So <laughs> thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yes, this has been a wonderful experiment. I can't wait to chop this all together and see how it turns out. Yeah, and watch Ratatouille. Yes. <laughs> if you haven't. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Seattle Seahawks have the best offensive line in NFL history. Kyle Seeger is the better Seeger brother. Markel Foltz is the best player on the Sixers. Hashtag trust the process. Okay, we don't actually believe any of these things, but if you want to hear our thoughts on topics like these, tune into the Boxing Podcast with Chris Ankiko, Alec Dietz, and Andy Amashta every Friday on the Soundbite Network. Did you know Peruvians have their own type of Chinese food? Or that Vietnamese food is heavily influenced by French cuisine? Have you ever wondered what other cultures' drunk food is like? Explore these topics and more right here on the Soundbite Network. My name is Dee Dee Madigan, and I'm the host of Home Plates, a podcast all about food. Catch up on the first season of Home Plates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. New episodes air every Wednesday. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.